0: often black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness but not in this space on this podcast the dialogue is always centered around women like you welcome to the podcast but more importantly welcome to the tribe be well sis hello hello and welcome back to the be well sis podcast my name is cassandra and i am your host um so we are and we what, three, four, five, six, I don't even know, 10,000 of the quarantine at this point. Um, that's if you're based in the US. Um, if you're based elsewhere, you might be um, a little bit longer or maybe shorter. I don't know. But either way, um, yeah, so we're in this quarantine thing and it's really shaking up um, most of our lives. Um, to be honest, at this point, I am going a little bit stir crazy. At first, I was like, you know what? This is a good thing. Cause I was, if I'm really honest, I was, I was tired. I was worn out. And I'm like, I cannot keep up like living this life at this pace any longer. So the quarantine in the beginning was a welcome change of things. It was good. Um, I slowed down my life. I didn't have, um, um, waking. I didn't have a million things to do from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. My weekends were suddenly clear. Didn't have a million birthday parties to attend. I didn't have any after school events to go to. It was, it was good. And I got to stay home. Um, I'm a homebody, so I like being in my house, but I realized that I like being in my house when I have the option of stepping out. And now that my options are taken away, ooh, your girl is struggling, um, But to be honest, I feel like for the better, my life has changed since quarantine. I really had time to really reflect on as to what's really important, like what matters to me and to my family. I realized that I was taking time and I was just filling up my space and time with things that really did not serve me. Either A, I didn't really enjoy doing them, B, they didn't serve my long-term goals. And C, they weren't really enriching to me or my family. So now I've really, um, gotten down to what we really need and what we really value as a family. And going forward, when outside is open again, <laughs> I'm definitely going to, to stick to our guns. If it doesn't fall into three buckets, we don't need it. So do we enjoy doing it? Um, is it good for our, um long term and does it um enrich us somehow if it doesn't fall into any of those three categories it does not need to be part of our lives anymore. Another thing that's been good is that we not we my skin has been flourishing. Like girl, my skin looks so good now. I haven't been going out into the world, so I haven't been wearing as much makeup. Actually I've been wearing no makeup. I don't wear makeup at all. Even my little Zoom situations, like listen, they they've seen it all at this point. Um and my skin is grateful and so thankful for it. And I've become more disciplined with my nighttime skincare routine. I think it's because it's my only time, my only outlet, my only time that I'm actually alone. Um, I really take in um, my skincare is to be, you know, pretty serious. And my skin is so grateful for it. She's like, girl, keep doing this. Keep this up. <laughs> um, my hyperpigmentation is starting to um, clear up. And um, I don't have as many breakouts. So now I'm thinking I need to really reassess what it is in my makeup routine that just wasn't working for me. Because I do like wearing makeup. I'm not going to lie. Um, that's my thing. But, um, yeah, I'm happy with my skin. Um, and another thing that's been eye-opener is that um, I just, going back to time, I realized that I've been doing a lot of things that were just time-consuming and adding stress to my life. One of those things is editing. I like podcasting. I'm happy that now I have a hobby because I never had a hobby, and I would get so sad when people ask me, "Hey, girl, what's your hobby?" I'd be like, "I don't know. Like, the hobby? What's that?" Um, so now I have a hobby, but I don't enjoy the editing process. I'm not tech savvy, and while I, you know, pride myself on being a learner, editing is just not it for me. That's not one of those things that I really like care to get good at at this point. So, um I realized that I'm going to go ahead and outsource and get my podcast edited. And as we speak, I have um a podcast that is being edited. I'm so excited. And um which brings us to this episode. So, I recorded this um interview with Caroline. I recorded it back in January. She was one of my very first guests. And I sat on this episode because I found it to be so special the message that I didn't want to mess it up with my my janky um, editing skills so I was figuring you know what I want it to air um come April maybe by then I will a either be an amazing podcast podcaster and editor or b um. And, and be excuse me. I also wanted to come out during Black Maternal Health Week. Black Maternal Health Week was last week. So you girl missed that. And I'm not going to beat myself up. It happened. I missed it. It's okay. But this episode still needs to be heard. And I did send in the interview for it to be um, edited. So this episode is the very first episode that I worked with a professional editor with. So I'm so excited. Milestones, baby. We are moving on up <laughs> here at Be Well, Sis. I'm really excited about that. So let's talk about this episode. So I'll be real with you. Today's episode is a bit heavy, but it's necessary. Um, we talk about miscarriage and um, child loss. Um, and it happens really often. And we don't talk about it enough. According to the CDC, one in four women in the U.S. suffer a miscarriage in their lifetime. So chances are that either you've had one or you know someone who has. Unfortunately, in our culture, that's something that we rarely talk about. And I think it's it's caused a couple of things. A, women who have experienced um, child loss and or miscarriage may feel that it was their fault and they may internalize some of the blame, um, and misplace that blame on themselves. Um, so there goes that. So they're carrying that guilt, that burden that was none of their doing. And then what all uh, also happens that because we don't talk about it, um, there's like a real awkwardness around us. So people who are uneducated or uninformed or ignorant or whatever it is, um, just ask really stupid questions. And I feel that this could all be avoided if we all had more dialogue and were more open about um, miscarriage because it's something that is so common and affects so many of us. So um, I am going to stop running my mouth and go ahead and get into the episode with Caroline, who is the founder of parents of an Angel.com, which is a site devoted to providing and creating the resources and support to grieving families that couldn't find any afterlaws. So, thanks again for joining, and let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Be well, sis. Thank you so much for joining us and, and spending time um, here on the podcast. Um, I've been reading your blog parents of an angel, and you write just really deep, um, your perspective is awesome. Um, I feel that a lot of us suffer in silence, and I love that you create a platform where um, you share and encourage others to share what they've been through. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your story?
1: Absolutely. So I was pregnant um, in 2014. Um, My best friend and I decided that we wanted to take things a little further, and two weeks into our relationship, I got pregnant, (laughs) and you know, it was really the happiest moment of my life. I had just finished school um, a couple of years prior. I had gotten my master's. I was really thriving in a career, and I just knew that I was ready for a family, and I couldn't wait to bring this bundle of joy home with me. So I had a really smooth pregnancy we didn't have any complications um, I didn't have morning sickness any like weird side effects or anything literally every doctor's visit was perfect And so during my 39th week of pregnancy I was literally just a couple of days away from my due date I didn't feel him moving and usually um, my boyfriend at the time but When my husband would get up and go to work, he would like talk to my stomach and rub it a little bit and he would start kicking, but he didn't kick that morning. And so I'm like, this isn't normal, this is kind of weird. So I called my doctor and my doctor said, you know, just go straight to the hospital, get your bag um, and just go to the hospital, you know, let them check out and see what's going on. So we went and um, he met me there. My parents were there, Uh, his mother came uh, so they brought both of us into a room to do an ultrasound just to see what was going on and they determined that he just didn't have a uh, a heartbeat anymore. Um, they did like three different tests, they brought other doctors in just to make sure but um, unfortunately he just lost his heartbeat. We never did find out um, why but I guess the silver lining is that it confirms that there was nothing wrong with me, so that I will be able to carry again, um, but there's still always that you know feeling of what if like what could I have done differently to save him, or was it my fault did I eat something too spicy, or did I walk too much? like what could I have done to save him so you know that level of uncertainty will always just stick with me, but fortunately um. I am able to conceive again. So there's the blessing in that.
0: Absolutely. Wow. That's oh that's incredible. Wow. Oh, and I'm sorry, did you say when this was, when this happened?
1: Um, so we lost him in June of 2014. 2014.
0: Okay. Ooh. I will be definitely praying for you guys and for the next time to everything just be perfectly from Thank start you. to finish. Um, So in your blog, you mentioned that after this happened, you went and saw a therapist. Mm -hmm. And what was your experience?
1: (laughs) So um, (laughs) this is, it's now that I look back, I can, you know, kind of laugh about it. But in the moment, I was just so out of my element. Um, I'd never been to a therapist before. You know, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in church. And so my method was just to pray my way out of it, you know, whatever I was going through. But I I needed something more. I needed some professional help. And so I tried a therapist. Um, It was a black woman. So I was, you know, very comfortable um, opening up to her to try to, you know, get some help. But unfortunately, when she said, you know, what brings you in today? How can I help you? And I started, you know, telling her about my story and how I lost our son. She was like crying before I could even (laughs) finish my story. And so In the moment, like, I felt kind of helpless, like, well, dang, if she can't even hold it together, I'm, I'm a lost cause, I'm, there's no help, I'm hopeless, Um, but, you know, in the moment, I did empathize with her, because I realized this is a very sensitive subject, and it can be hard for people, so, like, I ended up comforting her. Mm -hmm. You're a saint. (laughs) think it was just like the motherly instinct to, you know, when you see someone crying, you just want to tell them it will be okay, mm-hmm. you know, and give them the tissue, um, so that was a very uh, challenging moment, and it was hard being my very first uh, exposure into therapy, so I just did a lot of prayer and research and, you know, kind of looking at other ways to make the most out of the therapy experience, like Sharing those kinds of things ahead of time about why I'm coming to visit <laughs> so that they're a bit more prepared mm-hmm. um, but it just it really opened my eyes up about how much this topic is isn't talked about in our community, and it it just showed me how much work needed to be done in mm-hmm. this you know, be it helping medical professionals or you know helping other women who go through this. But just after comforting her and after talking to that therapist, I just felt like I was called to do work in wow. this
0: area. Wow. And, and speaking of um, the medical community, how was your OBGYN or your midwife? Like, were they supportive after you were discharged from the hospital?
1: So leading up to uh, when I had to deliver my son, they were great. I had a great experience with them. They knew me. They knew my mother by name. They, you know, we really felt like family, especially toward the end of my pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But when I went in for my six-week checkup, it was a complete nightmare. I mean, I was ready to run out of that office like I was in a scary movie. Um, They just, they didn't have the sensitivity to really work with me after my loss being so fresh. So, for example, back then they still had physical folders mm-hmm. with all the medical information. You know, nothing was really digitized at their office. And so, if you were having a girl, you got this cute pink folder. And if you were having a boy, you got this pretty light blue folder. But for me, since I had loss, I had a bright red folder.
0: Hey sis, enjoying the episode? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating along with a glowing review. And if you're not listening to Apple Podcasts, please take a screenshot of your screen while you're listening and share on your social media. Also tag BeWellSis underscore podcast and two of your friends who you think will enjoy the show. I mean, they'll enjoy it. So go ahead, tag them. (laughs) Now let's get back to it.
1: Oh, my God. And so it just, it stuck out, right? I mean, it was just just one very, very bold reminder of my loss. But I think it was there to remind, like, the nurses and the doctors that my case is a bit special. It should be handled with care. So I think for them, it was supposed to be used as a guide to uh, treat me differently than you would regular moms. So, when they called me back, you know, I was like crying and trying to hold it together. And my intake nurse was still like asking me all these questions about, you know, are you breastfeeding? And I'm when like,
0: She didn't read the chart before getting you?
1: Perhaps. And I'm like, Well, breastfeeding who? Like, my son died. And she was like, Do you know what happened? And I'm like, No, I don't know. And so, you know, she just kept going with her routine questions that you're supposed to ask at a six week checkup, but she never connected the dots to really change her approach or change her delivery to situation. And so I was just, I was so furious. I said some very unchristian-like things to her that I don't want to repeat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, it just taught me that there's still just a level of sensitivity that, you know, some offices just don't have or may not realize that they need like when I was in the waiting room with 10 other pregnant women or women with their babies, that was so painful. I wish that they would have had a separate waiting room with maybe dimmer lights or calm music or just something that's more relaxing for moms who are going to the doctor after loss.
0: Right. Right. Ooh, I can imagine level of anxiety. Oh my goodness. Um, Oh, I had so many questions, like, in my mind as you we were talking. I'm sorry. Um, what was, so typically when somebody is in their ninth, tri- um, their last trimester, they're thinking about maternity leave and everything. So what was that like for you? Like, did you have leave and were you able to use that time to, to
1: grieve? Well, fortunately, my job was extremely understanding and very, very sympathetic to my loss they sent me flowers they sent me teddy bears my boss personally gave me a year subscription to netflix and gave me a list of shows to binge watch that she thought would cheer me up i mean they really went just above and beyond to make sure i was comfortable so i still they gave me a week of bereavement but then i also took um, eight weeks of maternity leave because physically, I still had to heal from, you know, delivering a baby full term. So they gave me my full eight weeks of um, maternity leave, but then they also offered um, an additional week with pay, just in case I needed more time before I came back. So I did take them up on that offer, um, but they also made it very clear that if I just needed more time, or if I needed to come back with restrictions on a limited schedule, we could just figure something out. But their primary concern was that I was okay mentally and physically before I returned to work. Um, So the Friday before I came back, I got a call from HR and she said, listen, I know you're coming back on Monday. I just want to understand what type of welcome do you want? Do you just want to come in and be left alone? Or do you mind people coming and hugging you and loving all over you because they want to? How do you want to return to work? And I really love that, you know, they gave me the option and they gave me the control Mm -hmm. to how I wanted to come back so that it was comfortable for me. Um, And that's something that I'm just, you know, extremely grateful for because a lot of companies wouldn't do that. But I think they really set the tone for, you know, how my return to work was. And it was exactly what I asked for. You know, it it was very, very comfortable going back
0: that's amazing cuz that is unheard of these days like it seems like work takes the humanity out of like whatever's whatever the industry is you know um people don't think of employees as actual people so it's so awesome so you have a community or um a work environment where you are able where they care about you not about what you produce
1: exactly I just, you know, I just could not thank them enough for, you know, the loyalty they showed me for the care, the concern, and just, you know, the sensitivity when I came back, you know, just being able to tell the rest of the team, like, listen, this is what she's asking for, and we're going to respect it. And, you know, if you feel inclined to reach out, just, you know, give it a couple of weeks and just give her time to reacclimate to working first. And, you know, even our clients who... You know, we work with through my job. Even they were just super supportive. They sent gifts, and you know, some of the women that we partner with have shared, you know, their stories of you know this something similar happened to me. And if you need know someone to talk to, I'm here for you. And it, it was just, it was amazing. It was, it really was. That's beautiful. Um, during your healing
0: did you have like a village of women around you or did you have help? Because you make a good point, you still had to physically heal too while you were emotionally healing. So how was that process or what was that process?
1: So I really did have like a bomb support system. My, uh, my parents lived in Michigan, but they decided to move to Atlanta after um, I got pregnant. So uh, I'd say about during my eighth month, They, like, just packed everything up and came on down. Mm -hmm. Um, They were going to look for a house, but they decided that after we lost the baby, they would just stay with us for a while to help. So... You know, my mom and dad were in the house with us to help, like, cook and clean and do all the things that I wasn't physically able to do. Mm -hmm. And even having my father in the house, he's a deacon, and so he was just very, very positive and gave a lot of spiritual advice to, you know, my husband and I. So it was great having them in the house. And my husband's mother lived about 10 minutes away from us. Mm -hmm. He also experienced a similar loss. So I don't... I want to say I found joy in her loss, but it was just good to have someone close to me who experienced that so that, you know, when I talked about certain things or the way I was feeling, she understood. And, you know, when I questioned God about why he would do this to me, she really understood where I was coming from. And she could give me, you know, scriptures or words of encouragement from someone who knew exactly where I was coming from. So she was, you know, very pivotal Mm -hmm. in helping me heal. but. Even just to my friends and family, everyone was great. Even though they may not have known what to do, they, they figured out something <laughs> to get me through, you know, those really hard times. One thing that I did not really take into account looking back, and I wish I did, was that my friends had to grieve too. And my family had to grieve that loss mm-hmm. as well it wasn't just my child it was like everyone's baby right and I think one of the things I wish I would have done was given my friends and family um, some closure Um, like my best friend came to the hospital but she brought her two children with them and when I knew she had her kids I'm like I just can't I cannot see kids right now I'm sorry yeah and I, I stripped her from that moment to have her chance to say hello and goodbye um, we took pictures with our son, um, my husband and I did, I didn't share those with anyone. I just, I kept them to myself. Um, it just, it wasn't something that I thought about, you know, giving my friends closure or sharing those intimate moments with them. Um, but looking back, I wish I did because they had to find a space to grieve outside of showing me that they're still hurting. Right. Nice. So, You know, that was a very um, interesting feeling that, you know, they shared with me years later. Um, And that's something that I don't want moms to feel obligated to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's just something to consider. It's that, you know, this is your loss, but it's your community's loss as well. So if you ever feel alone, you can always grieve with your community because they want to feel with you. Um, So if you ever feel inclined to just open that opportunity for them, too.
0: That is such a good point and I would never even consider that. And that really speaks to your character too as as a person for you to even if it's in hindsight that you're even considering their feelings. Because I know myself I'd be like, Well, I'm going through it, like they're gonna have to deal or they dealt. They'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's beautiful. And and that's a good point to have your village mourn with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because I think there's sometimes there's just comfort in comforting each other. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I wish I had that opportunity more. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So a lot of women go through this. There was a stat that I read that one in four experience either some type of miscarriage or stillbirth, but we really don't talk about it. Why do you think that is?
1: It's uncomfortable, you Mm -hmm. know a baby disrupts the natural order of life yeah you know there's that common phrase that you know parents are not supposed to bury their children at any age whether you miscarry at eight weeks or you have a stillbirth at 39 weeks it's still a very significant and emotional loss but it's it's really uncomfortable to talk about you know we don't know what to say to women who have lost kids i mean people have told me story stupidest things sometimes. And I just wish they would shut up. Okay. Right. You know, it's, it's something that we're, we don't want to talk about because it's so uncomfortable. It's so delicate. And we just, I think we just don't know what to say. Other times, I mean, even for me, like I didn't want to burden anyone mm-hmm. uh, with how I was feeling. So after, you know, the first few months after my loss, I kind of felt bad for wanting to talk to someone about it because I feel like I either used up all of my favorite cards or, you know, I just kind of stretched out that welcome mat a little too long for people to say, you know, I'm here if you need anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like I used up all those favors. And so I just, I just chose to to do this in silence a lot of times. Um, but it is, it's really uncomfortable for people to talk about mm-hmm. and it. I don't know, I blamed myself for a long time, so I didn't wanna you know, talk about it for that reason because I thought that I did something that caused him to stop breathing. Um, it could be a number of, of reasons, but I really wish that we did talk about it more because I think that the more we talk about it, and the more awareness we bring to it. Um, I think that we can open up bigger conversations of how we can prevent this from happening as often as it does.
0: Absolutely, especially in our community. Um, I was, when you mentioned the blaming of like yourself, I find that so common, especially like we don't, the, our culture teaches us not to um, disclose that we're pregnant in the first trimester, right? And it's, if you think about it, it's kind of like you're putting all this burden on the woman in a way, you know what I mean? It's like, if it doesn't go right, it's because you did something, let's so not talk about it until you're in the clear quote unquote, you know? Exactly. Oh boy. Um, so what was your process? So the time with the therapist was not great. So this wasn't a match. She didn't help. Um what did help outside of um prayer? Did you have like a routine or did you have
1: words of affirmation that you draw drew on or it took it took a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. honestly I did a lot of healthy things to try to cope and I did a lot of unhealthy things to try to feel better also um, and that's one of the things I talk about in my book is just trying to find the things that make you feel happy in the healthiest way possible for example I found comfort in shopping mm-hmm. and I I love to shop it's something I did with my mother all the time growing up and we didn't need a reason it could be Tuesday And so it's the day to go to the mall. And it it was our thing. It put me in a very happy space. And so I reverted to that. I put, I literally put all of my tears in my shopping bags because it just made me feel good in the moment. But with that, I made, you know, several bad decisions in terms of my finances and I maxed out a crazy number of credit cards. And You know, it just became a rolling cycle of pay the minimum payment and take it right back to the mall to max it out again. Mm -hmm. And it became a horrible habit and a very expensive habit to break. Um, And it wasn't until my fiance proposed to me or until my husband proposed to me that I really took it serious to actually fix it and find some other healthy ways to, you know, cope with my loss. Mm -hmm. I tried working out which I still believe is a necessary evil, but I don't enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Exercising, kickboxing, I've tried music therapy. Um, I've tried other forms of therapy, of course, prayer, and really getting back into my Bible and reestablishing a relationship with God because for a while I was just done. Like Me and God were just not on speaking terms. I was done with him. And so... Part of my healing was reestablishing that relationship and connecting with him again. I found that having a pamper day once a month was very therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. So I would take one day by myself. I'd go to the spa and get a massage, a facial, a wax. I'd get my nails done, my feet done, and then I'd go to the movies and eat a bucket of popcorn by myself. <laughs> one day was something that I looked forward to every single month. Um, I. Sit at home and binge watch TV shows all day, um, a couple times a year, and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, it really just came down to prayer, affirmations, um, having my personal day, um, mm-hmm. and you know, just reconnecting with my community and my social support system. Those were the real five things that that truly helped me. But for other moms, it <sighs> I don't I don't have a secret formula. It really was just trial and error and finding the healthiest uh, things that make me feel better.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like in that process, you reconnected with yourself as well. So you found out what brings you joy um, that's healthy, you know, that won't mess up the finances or whatnot. So getting to know yourself again is what helps. Yeah.
1: I had to redefine myself as as a mother without a living child and that really wasn't a title or a space that I was comfortable in for a long time so i had to learn how to love myself again i had to like myself again mm-hmm. i had to stop blaming myself for what happened and through all of that you know i started to heal but i i literally had to stand in the mirror and say affirmations to myself over and over until i believed them and that started working for me. So it, it really is just, just trial and error and just finding what those happy triggers are for you and just sticking to them because they work. One yeah. thing my trainer told me, and I still despise him because he was effective <laughs> as a trainer, which means I hate him because <laughs> I don't like working out. But one thing he told me is that, you know, Caroline, every day you will get better. Every day you will get better every day you will get better. And he made me say it every single time we met. And I really believe that he wasn't just talking about my fitness journey. And once I started to actually believe that, you know, as a grieving mom, you know, that also really helped me just to believe that, you know, this next day will be better than the previous one. Yes, I'll have ups and downs, right? Like some days will just naturally be bad days. But every single day as, you know, a mom or as a new mom or a grieving mom, like, every day you will get a little bit better, even if you don't feel like it. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think that sometimes it's just, you know, having that pep talk with yourself, like you said, like, this is a new year, this is going to be awesome and amazing. And look at the good work that you know, you're doing for your community and deciding that the things that happened last year, what happened last year but having that very positive talk with yourself actually is you know that moment and that breakthrough where you believe that things are going to be okay for me it was not feeling guilty for being happy Ooh. um one of the other things I talk about in my book was that you know I had a dream where my son spoke to me and he said mommy don't you miss me? Like, why are you having all this fun? I thought you were sad because I'm not here. Honey, that broke me. I woke up in like a pillow full of tears. Mm-hmm. And for a very long time, I would feel guilty anytime I was having a good time. And so I was listening to a Stevie Wonder song and I just felt so good. And I didn't feel bad about it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's when I had that moment like, okay, I'm going to be all right. I'm not losing my mind. I will be okay.
0: Wow. Um, Yes, you will be okay. And I'll be okay, too. I'm going to stop crying. (laughs) I'll be all right. So, please, what is the name of your book? When does it come out? And tell me more, please.
1: So, I have been sitting on this idea for, oh, my goodness, maybe four or five years until, you know, my husband and my best friend have just Pushed me to get this done and get this story out because so many people need to hear it. Um, The name of my book is called From Grieving Mom to Grieving Mom. And, you know, this is my story from heartache to healing to hope. And so, you know, I'm just sharing a series of stories of things that happened to me throughout my journey and really just talking about some of the things that I wish I knew or wish I knew to expect after I lost my son. You know, people tell me all of the safe things like, oh, time will heal all your wounds, give yourself time to grieve, you know, things will be all right, just cling to your husband and you will be fine, right? But what they didn't tell me was that I would want to kill myself three months later. You know, they didn't tell me what some very um, odd triggers will be, right? They wouldn't tell me that I couldn't go to a baby shower for five years because I just couldn't take it, right? You know, so those things that I didn't expect to feel, um, I talk about that. I talk about, you know, some of the ways that I have found healing and things that have, you know, worked for me in hopes that they encourage another mom. Um, and then I also list um, some things that will help you uh, celebrate your angel. Um, if you're not able to, like, find the right way to do that or, or find a comfortable way to do that. So I talk about that as well as um, some healthy ways to heal. Oh, nice.
0: Um, there are so many books on what to expect when you're expecting and the first year of your child's life and the first like toddlerhood of your child's life. This is so necessary what you're doing. Um you. like I said, there's so many women who go through this and so many women can find so much solace in your words and your experience and I'm looking forward to it.
1: Thank you so much. I really just you know, I'm really just uh talking to God and really understanding what he wants me to say to these moms, um, to these grieving moms. And I really just want them to have the resources and the information and the understanding that, no, you're not crazy. These feelings are valid. I want them to have all of those things that I couldn't find after my loss, because I think it would just make someone else's experience maybe not easier, but just a little bit more manageable, you know, than mine was. And that's really the mission of the work that I do. Yes, definitely. And can you speak to
0: your, um, your website on Parents of an Angel?
1: Yes, um, Parents of an Angel um, is a blog that I started um, almost a year ago. We have our one year birthday in April. Um, but I really just wanted to open a comforting community for grieving parents. Um, for moms and for dads, just to, again, find resources and find some stories and find some encouragement. You know, just the things that I couldn't find after my loss, even down to how to take care of yourself postpartum. Everything I found talked about breastfeeding and, you know, connecting with your baby and things like that. Well, I didn't get to bring mine home. So what do I do with, you know, my breast still leaking milk? And, you know, I still have all this physical pain what can I do or how can I find out information without reading half of an article that talks about a baby, you know? So just, you know, creating a safe space and a comforting space for us um, to kind of learn, to grow, to connect and, you know, just find out the things that we still need to know um, without giving us the constant reminder that our baby isn't here. The moms that are out here listening, I just want you to remember that you are not alone even in the darkest moment where you might feel like you are, I've been there, but trust me, you are not alone. This happens to one in four women. So if you go to work and you look at the room, someone else has had this experience with you. I don't want you to suffer in silence. And I encourage you to you know, connect with Parents of an Angel um, through the blog, through our newsletter, be on the lookout for my book, or you know, reach out to me personally if you need advice, or if you have a story that you want to share, I would also love to feature that on my website also.
0: Oh, thank you so so much. I-